Uh, today, hey, a couple of things just to note today. Uh, we'll have communion at the end of our service uh, this morning. And uh, so we actually have some stations that are up here. Uh, we'll open that up for that at the end of the service, and you'll kind of have some uh, business with God time. And then when you're ready, come to the station to do it. That's kind of how we do it here. That's open to anybody. If you're a guest with us here, please feel invited to come and join us in communion. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you are welcome to come. If you don't, uh, let today be the day that you say yes to Jesus and then come and join us at the communion table because what are we doing? We're remembering his finished work for us. And uh, today's a great day to say yes to the finished work of Jesus. We're gonna do that at the end of the service. Uh, the uh, Living Waters, if you didn't catch the announcement, uh, we're doing Living Waters prayer service tonight. That's right here in this room, so you already know where to go, 6.15. We spent about an hour just gonna seeking the Lord together. And we're gonna treat this as a little bit of a priming the pump for the Encountering God weekend that we're doing on Saturday, May 13th. That's gonna be an awesome experience. We are really looking forward to that. How many of you already signed up to say I'm going to the Encountering God weekend? Several of you. Good, good, good. Some of you are also going, oh, I was going to do that. You know what I mean? Well, here, you're in luck. Uh, we're going we're gonna to meet you at the uh, info desk right out here in the lobby. We've got to sign up. If you're a last minute person and said, I meant to do that, I want to get signed up. Uh, the early bird registration ends yesterday, but we'll keep it open for you today. See how, see how nice and generous we are. We'll help you out. We'll get you set up for the Encountering God weekend. It's going to be a one day prayer infusion seminar. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to pray a lot. It's going to be great. It's going to be life giving and, uh, and full of good stuff. So that's happening uh, this coming Saturday. So we're coming right down to it. So pray for for it. Uh, we're asking God, not just for our church, but for the churches in this region, that this would be a blessing, that there would be revival, and that God would do some good work. So uh, don't miss the Encountering God prayer workshop coming up. So anyway, that's the extra announcements for you. Uh, here's a couple things I want to do as we get into the book of Numbers. Uh, we started there last week, and we've been going through, if you're a guest with us, we've been going through some of these Old Testament books. We're doing them in big chunks, you know, so we're not getting lost in the wilderness ourselves, but we're talking about getting into the wilderness today, and that's really what a lot of the theme of the book of Numbers is all about. So turn your Bibles to Numbers 13 while you're, while you're flipping over there. Um, here's, a, here's an interesting thing. So last, last uh, summer, the Henning family took a, an excursion, and we went out west. This was, and I'd never been out west. Amy had never been out west. The kids, of course, had never been out west, and so you know, we got some plane tickets. We flew into Rapid City, South Dakota, and we spent some time in the Badlands. We spent some time at Custer State Park. We got to see uh, some of uh, Yellowstone, although if you remember, Yellowstone was getting flooded last year. So we were already in South Dakota. I get a text from my sister-in-law saying, hey, I hope it works out for you guys uh, with Yellowstone. And I was like, do you, do you know what's happening in Yellowstone? It's like, oh, okay, it's underwater. Uh, but anyway, it did work out. We were able to get there. And then the Grand Tetons. How many of you seen the Grand Tetons. Oh my goodness. Crazy. Uh, somebody from this church actually told me, they said, they said, I was so moved by the, I'm not a crier, but I was so moved by the Grand Tetons. I like wept seeing the beauty of, uh, of just, you know, creation in that way. And so we got to experience some incredible things uh, while we were there. It was a wonderful trip. Uh, and the thing that, the thing that I came away with was the ruggedness of the places that we saw and the beauty of the places that we saw. There was this kind of like tension 
Uh, holding intention, something that can be so rugged and yet so beautiful at the same time. So our favorite place that we went, I really, we loved all of the spots that we stopped, but our favorite place was the Badlands. How many of you have been to the Badlands in South Dakota? I mean, it was just an otherworldly kind of experience. It was just kind of crazy. I brought a couple pictures just in case you haven't seen it before, but this is like, you talk about rugged beauty. I mean, this is one of the sunsets over the, the, the rock formations and stuff like that. Next picture here, this is a little bit of a panorama that I kind of liked. I mean, how do you even put into words the beauty of this? The picture doesn't even do it justice, but to stand there and to see this expanse, it was incredible. In fact, I remember saying uh, to some of our family, like, if you can't talk to God here, I don't think you can talk to God anywhere. You know, it was just so evident, the beauty of what he has created. And then this last picture I sort of like because, or next to last picture I like, because we have some stormy clouds overhead. And uh, so this idea of like the ruggedness uh, of this place really stood out. But man, it is beautiful, but you would not want to get lost out there. You know what I mean? You would not want to try to live out there on your own because the ruggedness of that was not terribly hospitable. In fact, the people that lived in that area that we talked to, we stayed at this ranch and uh, stayed at this ranch that kind of opened up some rooms for people and everything. And the, those people were awesome, but they were tough. I mean, they were rugged, tough people. The guy who lent it was like, hey, here's my, my jar of rattlesnake rattles from the rattlesnakes that I had to keep away from my cattle and stuff. I'm like, I, that guy's tough. I mean, that's not, guy's not messing around. This was the, he, he, talk about beauty and toughness at the same time. This was the guy that, that greeted us, the, the next little picture here, when we came up there. This was a little cow that was like a puppy. He just kind of ran around from person to person. He was like a big puppy uh, running around, and he was so cute. Here, I'm talking to one of the kids that lives there uh, at the ranch, and I said, tell me about this cow. And he goes, oh, one of the neighbors uh, kind of dropped him off because he's got this funky eye, and so he's whatever. He's telling me about this cow that they, they take care of. They give him bottles and all that kind of stuff. He said, oh, that's really cute. I said, so what are the plans for the cow? And the kid, he's like 13. He goes, well... He's like, I can't remember if he's a boy or a girl, actually. If he's a boy, we'll eat him. Um, and if it's a girl, yeah, we'll probably still eat it. So anyway, <laughs> like, like there's a certain ruggedness when it's sort of like, when you casually talk about eating your pets, you know, it's just kind of like, it's just kind of a rough existence, you know, in some ways, but very beautiful. So here's, here's what I want to ask you to kind of challenge, to, to think about here in the beginning. A nice place to visit, but a tough place to live, Okay. When you think about the wilderness, today I want to challenge you to think about not only the ruggedness and the difficulty of the wilderness, but also the beauty of what God does when he takes us through the difficult seasons of life. That's kind of the message for today. We're going to start in Numbers 13. Numbers is all about kind of the wilderness experience with God's people. At this point, they're at the desert of Paran, and this is where uh, they're, they're, going, they're on the way to the promised land, and Moses has sent out spies into the land. You remember the story? And so they go, and they kind of check it out. And they come back with this mixed report. There's a couple of the people that are like, it's good, let's go forward, the land is awesome, and we can take it, let's go. But the majority are like, the land is awesome, but it is incredibly formidable, and we don't wanna go. Like, this would be a huge mistake for us to go. And so it's, it's a huge kind of crisis of faith for the people of God as they're thinking about this wilderness experience. So that's kind of the context for the passage that we're gonna read today in Numbers 13. So let's just read these handful of verses together, and then we're gonna get into this question, really, of like, 
uh, what happens in the wilderness. Um, and I think that there's a couple pieces that will be very helpful for us as well. So Numbers 13, 26 and following, um, the spies. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the, its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Verse 30 says, then, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anna come from the Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. That's the end of their report. May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Today we're going to talk a little bit about this idea going through the wilderness. And that's what the book of Numbers is really all about. The Hebrew translation uh, of the book of Numbers was called the Bamid Bar, which actually means into the wilderness. So the people of God, they're out of slavery. That's what happened in Exodus. They, they've received the law and the ability to worship and approach the holy God. That's what Leviticus was, was all about. Now Numbers is their journey into the wilderness. And we said last week as we were starting this book, and this is important for us to probably reiterate, through the wilderness is a part of life. Like, I think to miss that, we say, well, I gave my heart to Jesus and I, I'm walking with the Lord and everything should be good. You know, we assume everything's supposed to be good. But that's actually not the case. Through the wilderness, the difficult times of uncertainty, the, the times of loss or grief, that is a part of life. And we do well to kind of get our mind around that lest we unnecessarily disappoint ourselves. Through the wilderness is a part of the journey. How do we define the wilderness? Last week I gave you this definition, sort of a working definition. The wilderness is a unique season marked by uncertainty. It is the solitary place where character is revealed and intimacy with God is developed. The wilderness is a unique season marked by uncertainty. That's kind of the critical piece. How long is this gonna last? How are we going to get the things that we need? How are we, when are we gonna get to where we're going? This is all questions of uncertainty. We ask these questions all the time. We're working through a relational strain. How are we gonna fix this? It's uncertainty. You get a, uh, a health diagnosis or scare that you didn't ask for and you didn't want. What is that? It's uncertainty. What's the outcome gonna be? Uncertainty. How's God going to lead through this? It's uncertainty. So all of this is part of the journey. Wilderness is a unique season marked by uncertainty. What does it do? It is a solitary place where character is revealed and where intimacy with God is developed. So here's sort of the, the overview book of Numbers, again, just to kind of give you the, the, the 
sort of context. There's sort of three parts to the book, Mount Sinai, people of God, they take a census, they're arranged with God in the center, they sort of figure out how the camp's gonna go, they go through more purity laws and different things like that, and they begin to travel, and then immediately they start to, to wrestle with complaining, uncertainty, because now the questions come that they don't have the answers to, and so they're wrestling with it, and they begin to complain, and the heart stuff, again, it, what happens? Character begins to get revealed. Uh, they come to the wilderness of Paran. That's the place where we are today in chapter 13. The spies are sent out to investigate the land. We just talked about that. Uh, the, the response from the people, though two of them are like faith-filled, and they were like, let's do it. Let's go. You know, God called us. The land is great. We're going to go in. The majority of the spies are like, we can't do this. Like, no way. This is, this is crazy. We shouldn't do it. And so faith and fear sort of come into conflict with one another. We're gonna talk about that in a minute, but that's kind of what's happening right now. Uh, the unfortunate reality is the judgment of God comes. This generation, the whole generation, is gonna die in the wilderness. So this wandering that was supposed to be, probably could have been done in a space of eight weeks or something like that, is now gonna be a 40-year sort of time of the, the people dying in the wilderness. And so this is part of the judgment of God. Um, there's other, many other accounts that happen, chapter 20 and 21. They come to the plains of Moab, and now this is the, the threshold. They're right on the threshold of the promised land. And this is an interesting passage we're going to look at next week, where, where Balaam, you remember Balaam's donkey? Talk, yeah, you know. Uh, uh, Balaam is hired to bring curses on God's people, and so he prays. And all he can bring his blessing. So even in the midst of the people's disobedience and rebellion, God's still looking out for them. What he intended, what they intended for cursing comes out as blessing, including a look forward that says, you know, someone's gonna rise up who's gonna actually set this stuff right. And it's a forward look all the way to Jesus that comes from Balaam, which is interesting. That gives you a little context of the book. But the lessons from the wilderness we talked last week, presence matters, attitude matters, destination matters. C.S. Lewis, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You know, that, that idea will help you navigate the wilderness maybe better than any other, right? Because if all of your life is attached to the good things of this world, then when you go through the wilderness and uncertainty and loss and everything, you feel like you've lost everything. But when you have a mindset that says, I'm really just passing through. I'm really just passing through. I'm not putting my roots down so deep in this world as to think that this is my forever home. Then you go through the wilderness and it's another season that you are passing through. Okay, so the question for today is this. What does God do in the wilderness? A lot of us said last week, I'm either in the wilderness or I've just come through the wilderness or maybe I'm going into the wilderness. But the wilderness is a reality. It's not a theory. What does God do <clears throat> in the wilderness? And here's the kind of cool thing that you can maybe just note uh, off the top. Um, you know, you can learn vicariously through other people's wilderness experience. Isn't that good to know? Now I realize somebody listening to this is probably so stubborn that they gotta figure it out their own way. And you've probably all been there. I've probably been there at one point or another. But you can learn vicariously through other people's wilderness experience. We do well to do that <clears throat> here today. I wonder if I could trouble somebody, a kind person, to grab me a bottle of water. Look, look my, my lovely wife. Thank you. 
Oh, she's giving me, she's giving me her bottle of water. This is so sweet. Thank you, darling. Um, let's see if it's really water. I'm not telling. <clears throat> it's good. <clears throat> what does God do in the wilderness? I'm going to look at three. So I started kind of writing this sermon up and was thinking about this passage. And there's so much that God does in the wilderness. In fact, we could make the argument <clears throat> that spiritual growth happens in the wilderness almost in a unique or accelerated way. Not more pleasant, but oftentimes more accelerated. So I started kind of thinking through and I wrote down like seven or eight, then kind of whittled them down and, and, and began to re realize there's three that I'm going to look at with you today uh, that I think are so important that these gifts that come from the wilderness. So I'm not saying that to be trite about the difficulty that you're facing, but I want to encourage you and breathe courage into you today to say, what does God do in the wilderness? Well, he does a lot of things. Here's one. Number one, <clears throat> the wilderness reveals both our faith and our fears. And there is an inverted relationship with these two concepts that we see all throughout scripture, that as you nurture one, you diminish the other. As one becomes more prevalent in your life, faith and fear, as one becomes more prevalent, the other one becomes less prevalent. So you have this kind of inverted relationship here. The, the, the fact is, though, you can't foster both. So the wilderness begins to reveal our faith and our fear. So we said last week that the character is revealed in the wilderness and most of us can actually relate to this on some level. Frustration with others or hard circumstances often causes us to see our own hearts with greater clarity as our actions and words reflect the things that are there. And sometimes this is stuff that we say, I didn't realize I was in there. But then the pressure of the wilderness or the difficulty of that strain brings out things in us that we would say, okay, I'm not super proud of that. So here's just a mental exercise if you think about it. Imagine, <clears throat> imagine if you were to display your faith and fear responses from the last month. Just think about your life. Think about the highlights. Think about the moments you say, yeah, you know, I responded in, in faith. So that's a good moment. That was a good moment. Be proud of that moment. But then you probably would be able to find something pretty quickly, right? You say, yeah, that wasn't, so, that wasn't a real fine moment. I'm not real proud of that one. Like, I got negative really quick, or I got kind of ugly. My words were not very kind or Christ-like, whatever. So just think about that for a moment. We think about your, your whole last month. Incidentally, when you think about what would you be proud of, what would you prefer to forget? Incidentally, this is part of what we do at the communion table. When we celebrate the finished work of Christ, we sort of take all of our track record, which is really not good enough, uh, and we think about the wins that we give him glory for, and we think about the many misses that we say, yeah, I missed a mark here, I missed a mark here, but this is what we bring to the communion table. I bring my wins and my losses to the foot of the cross. And that's actually a very beautiful thing. It's not frightening, it's actually very beautiful. As a point of clarification, the things that get revealed when you go through the wilderness, we say it reveals our faith and our fears, there are good revelations that come that maybe you didn't expect when you go through the wilderness. In fact, I have seen this in many of your lives. I'm sure I've seen it in mine once or twice. I've seen countless examples of faithful commitments and maturity that were revealed as a result of the wilderness. 
both faith and fears are revealed. Uh, this particular passage uses a curious word when they talk about, <clears throat> we saw the Nephilim there, or descendants from the Nephilim. Uh, the Nephilim was actually a reference to Genesis 6. That's really, I think, the only other place in the Bible where that's referenced. And it's kind of an, a non-described definition. Uh, some describe it as uh, mighty men, violent men, so that in the time of Noah, uh, the earth was filled with violence, perhaps in part due to the presence of the Nephilim who were mighty and violent. Uh, they're described as fallen ones, which gives people a question about, are, is this actually a demonic type presence? Uh, and they're often referred to as giants, but they were clearly intimidating to God's people so that when they are brought up, this is a fear response. You know, we saw the Nephilim there. Now, people have conjectured, maybe this is an overreaction to prove one's point because you've ever seen how people do that? You know, they wanna say, well, we don't wanna go. And so they're like, oh, we, we think we saw giants in the land. Um, but essentially the report that they give them is that the Nephilim were there. So that's kind of who that is in reference to. <clears throat> it's very likely a fear response from ones who didn't wanna go an over-exaggeration to convince the other. So what does God do in the wilderness? Well, the wilderness reveals both our faith and our fears. You're going through that right now, some of you. It is a gift to be able to see what is the condition of my heart because this is what accelerates your spiritual growth. Celebrate the wins. Come to the communion table today. Say, Lord, thanks for giving me strength. Thanks for giving me a faith-filled response. Be aware of the fears and know that you cannot foster both. One will drive out the other. So that's the first thing that happens in the wilderness. The second thing <clears throat> that I want to draw your attention to is this, that wilderness develops alignment with God. And I, I might suggest to you that there is a easy version of this and there's a really hard version of this. And what you see throughout the book of Numbers is all of the hard you see an alignment with the heart of God that comes through the deep experience of pain and stubbornness and brokenness. If you read through Numbers 14, the subsequent uh, chapter, you see that the story continues to unfold with a heightened sense of drama and disappointment. And the sad thing is, you, you, you read it, with, it just, your heart gets heavy because it feels like it just goes from bad to worse. And what you'll see is a complete misalignment revealed through the wilderness. Here's what you see. Verse four, uh, the people of God actually say, we need to pick another leader. We don't like what this one's doing. We don't like where this is going. We need a new leader. And this struck me. I don't know why. I've heard this a lot of times. I've read this a lot of times. But it struck me with a real depth as I was studying this. We want to go back to Egypt. Now maybe this is on my mind because we've been preaching through what happened in Egypt and I'm, I'm a little bit more cognizant of the, the revelation of the power of God over the superpower in the world at that time the ongoing revelation of what God was capable of doing and in his mercy, hearing the heart of his people as they cry out to him and say, I've got your back. I'm El Roy, God who sees you. I'm gonna get you out of this. And he does. 
And then everything that happens at the Red Sea and the drowning of Pharaoh's army and then the the provision of water and the provision of manna, even while people are complaining, the provision of of quail, we want, we need meat. Like, well, here's a flock of birds, you know. And in light of all of the redemptive work of God to say, we want to go back to slavery. And that's what they said. There's a weight of that. And maybe the weight is because we see that own stupid stubbornness in our own hearts. Why do we want to go back when God's calling us forward? Because faith and fear don't coexist. So fear gets a hold of them. We see a total misalignment with God. They want to choose another leader. They want to go back to Egypt. God is so upset with them in their lack of fidelity that he says to Moses, I'm just going to wipe them out and start over. And Moses intercedes for him. That was a moment of leadership, I suspect, for Moses because he had trouble with these people. He was frustrated with them. The word comes to him, hey, I'm going to wipe them out. He was probably like, (laughs) but he doesn't say, let's do that. He says, God, please don't do that. He intercedes for them. He stands in the gap for them. It's actually a very beautiful picture. Uh, The proclamation comes from God because they don't want to go. And God says, okay, you're not going to go into the promised land. This whole generation is going to die out in the wilderness or the wandering, in the misalignment that seems so thorough. Now, you think like that's bad enough. It actually gets worse. If it could get worse, the story gets worse. The Israelites, when they hear the proclamation, they say, well, no, we don't want that. We'll go to the promised land now. And Moses actually says this. This is in verse 39 to 45 of Numbers 14. Moses says, note this in verse 42. He says to the people, he begs them. He says, don't go up. The Lord is not with you. Do you remember what he said back before in Exodus? He said, God, if you're sending us forward, don't send us without your presence. And if your presence isn't gonna go with us, please don't tell us to go. Well, now we sort of see a parallel here. He's begging with the people, God's not with you. Don't go up to battle. And they do, and they lose. So now in addition to the rebellion and the brokenness and a a horrible proclamation that you're gonna die in the wandering, now some of them have already died in an ill-fought battle. Don't go up, the Lord is not among you. Psalm 106 summarizes it this way. It's actually a beautiful summary of this kind of lament. Uh, Psalm 106, they forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, the miracles in the land of Ham and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their tents. They did not obey the Lord. So he swore to them with uplifted hand that he would make them fall in the wilderness. Man, this is the hard way of finding alignment with the heart of God. It's not the only way, which is actually really good news. And as I said before, it's kind of nice to know you can learn vicariously through other people's stupid choices. Now here's the thing, and this is an important one because if you're in the wilderness, you gotta wrestle with this question. We need discernment 
when we wrestle with this big wilderness question. Am I in the wilderness as a result of my choices or God's leading? Because we actually see scriptural evidence of both. The reason it's nice to know you can learn vicariously is because, you know, if you are in the wilderness as a result of dumb choices, we've probably all been at that place. We say like, why is my life not going well? Why do I continue to have this hardship? And then maybe through some discernment or understanding or maybe even accountability from somebody else to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey bro, can, I, can we look at this together? You're in a bad experience because you continue to make the same dumb choices. That is a part of life. And we need discernment here or we will constantly be thinking that we are suffering innocently when in fact we may not be. And the flip side is true as well. We need discernment or we may be thinking that we've done something wrong when in reality, God's saying no. The wilderness is part of the journey. So you gotta do some discerning on that. You gotta do some praying on that. And to me, that feels like a really important question to wrestle with and to do some business. One of the things, well, why would God lead you into the wilderness? Why would God lead me into the wilderness? Well, interestingly, Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. That was interesting. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, one of the things that happens as we become aligned with the heart of God is that God refines vision for kingdom work. So some of you have a kingdom calling. I, I would argue all of you have a kingdom calling. Some of you are aware of it. You're aware of a kingdom calling. God is beginning to breathe vision on you for something that he has uniquely crafted or gifted you to do. And you start to step into that, and it's, it's purposeful. And it's actually sort of exciting when you go, whoa, I think God is calling me to this thing. That's kingdom vision. Now, here's a quote from Oswald Chambers that I love. He says, God gives us the vision, and then he takes us down into the valley. That's his way of saying into the wilderness to batter us into the shape of the vision. And it is in the valley that so many of us faint and give way. Every vision will be made real if we have patience. Think of the enormous leisure of God. He is never in a hurry. We are always in such a frantic hurry, but in light of the glory of the vision, we go forth to do things, but the vision is not real in us yet. God has to take us into the valley and to put us through the fires and the floods to batter us into shape until we get to the place where he can trust us with a veritable reality. Ever since we had the vision, God has been at work getting us into the shape of the ideal and over and over again we escape from his hand and try to batter ourselves into our own shape. What does God do? He takes us through the wilderness seasons to get us in line with his heart. It's not always to correct your disobedience. But it's still hard. It's still painful. So what's the payoff? Here's the third one we'll talk about and we'll do some communion. Uh, the wilderness... Third point, wilderness cultivates intimacy with God. There is something about that reality that for some reason we, we grow at a more accelerated rate oftentimes through the wilderness experiences. Pete Scazzaro, 
who wrote Emotionally Healthy Discipleship and Emotionally Healthy Almost Everything Else You Could Think Of. Um, He talks about this idea specific to processing our grief, which is a specific kind of wilderness journey, but I think it would apply really to all of them. And what he says is this, that as a part of that process, we we need to wait in the confusing in-between. We wait in the confusing in-between. Waiting shows up all through the Bible. And I guarantee you, probably every one of us at some point this year has said, what is God taking so long for on something? Why hasn't he just resolved this thing? Why hasn't this thing been answered? That, what is this? This is the uncertainty of the wilderness. So you're in it. We go through it. Waiting shows up all through the Bible. Noah had a mission to fill. He waited a ton of time for that mission to come around. Abraham and Sarah had a legacy that God was putting on their life. They waited a ton of time for that legacy to even begin. Joseph had a destiny to fulfill in dreams that God had given him, but he spent most of his young adult life trying to figure out and going through the wilderness experiences of pits and prisons and everything else. Moses waited 40 years to get his call to lead God's people, and then another 40 years in the wilderness. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Hannah waited years for a child. Elizabeth waited decades for the birth of her son, John. Job waited years for a new beginning as he grieved his own losses. The apostles waited. The apostles were commanded to wait. Don't go, but wait. Wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit, which they did at Pentecost. The temptation is to fall into a pit of despair. This is Pete Scazzaro. Fall into a pit of despair or to medicate or numb ourselves with addictive behavior or to stop speaking with God out of anger. But what makes waiting so difficult is that we are not sure where God is, what he's doing, or when this season will end. It's the same two questions. Why God and how long? That is the wilderness. And yet somehow God uses that to develop intimacy. Jesus, when he began his earthly ministry, it seems very puzzling, especially if we don't, if we don't uh, adapt our thinking. Because some of us, we'd say, okay, we've talked about this for a couple of weeks. We get it. Wilderness is bad. Getting through the wilderness is good. And that's it. But that's, that's not all of it. Sometimes the wilderness is exactly what we need. And strangely enough, Jesus begins his earthly ministry, Luke chapter four. He's led by the spirit into the wilderness. And then he kept going back there. Oh, it's because the the food was so good. You know, it's because the the environment was so good. No, the first person, the first spiritual person that shows up when Jesus is led into the wilderness is the devil. And he has to face his temptation. And yet it is the drawing away and the developing of the intimacy with God through which Jesus himself is drawing strength. The wilderness is an opportunity for you to draw strength by cultivating intimacy with God. There's a lot more I could say about that, but I want to get us to the, to the point. And the point is this. We wrestle with our seasons in the wilderness. Some of you are in the middle of that right now. But we don't lose hope The wilderness is part of the journey, but it's not the final chapter. And even as we're going through it, 
I'm not trying to put a smiley face on. I'm not trying to be trite about your pain. I'm asking you to dig in for just a little bit and say, God, are you teaching me something in the midst of this? Are you revealing something of faith and fear in my own heart and spirit? Am I allowing something to dominate my decision, my attitude, my responses that you want to change? Are you developing an alignment in my own heart with your heart? In that stripping away that feels so painful? Is it possible that even those things, Romans, I love Romans 8, because Romans 8, 26, it says, sometimes we're so overwhelmed, we don't even know how to pray. We, just, we don't even know how to, how to put words to it. And some of your wilderness experience feels like that. I'm so messed up, I don't even know how to pray right now. And in those moments, here's the promise, the Holy Spirit prays for you with words and groans that words cannot express. Man, that's an intimacy with God thing I gotta do some learning on. And then right after that, all this stuff, we don't know, we don't know, we don't know how to pray, we don't know how to pray. Right after that, here's what he says, but we do know this. We do know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him including your wilderness and including your pain. That's a, that's a challenge to get your heart around. If we do one thing right today, we will get our eyes on Jesus. We started the time in Hebrews 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. That's what we're gonna celebrate at communion. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's the gift of the wilderness that I would ask you to receive today. I wanna pray for you. Worship team can come up. They're gonna lead us. Uh, those who are serving communion can come on up to the tables and um, we're gonna give you some space now to Fix your eyes on Jesus to remember his broken body, to remember his shed blood, to remember his space for you. Hey, Ash and Heather, can you guys take that one all the way over there? Wonderful. Um, so I want to just pray, and uh, we're just going to welcome the Lord into this time. And then just you'll have a little bit of space to do some business with the Lord. The team will, will lead us in a song, which you can sing, or you can just listen, or you, know, you can just wait uh, on the Lord. Um, when you're ready, you can go to the table and you can, uh, you can take communion. And we have two options for you today. Uh, the bread, the intinction is you, you tear off the bread and you dip it in the cup. You remember the broken body of Christ and the shed blood of Christ. If you prefer a method that's a little less hands-on, it's understandable, uh, we have the trays that have two stacked cups in them. So take both of the cups. The bottom one has the cracker in the bottom and the cup. And then you take that on your own. This is your space. This is your time to do that. Some of you need a gluten-free option. Uh, I hate to be quite so housekeeping with you, but some of you do. Uh, that is that section over there where Don and Sarah are. Uh, so if you need gluten-free, make your way over there. And then I love this. Um, if you're sitting next to somebody who maybe has a little trouble with mobility or getting around, we'll just be the body of Christ and just tap them on the shoulder and say, can I get you communion when I go up there? Uh, I bet you they want you to bring it back in the two cups and not a soppy piece of bread. But you, you discuss that. You decide. You decide.
Uh, Let's pray. We'll welcome the Lord's presence. Do some business with him. Jesus, thank you for even our wilderness experiences. Some of us are right in the middle of that right now. So we just want to summon up some courage to say, God, this is hard. This is not easy. And, And God has this interesting way of sometimes he brings people into your life and the people that you want to sit with and that you want to talk with and pray with and that they're the the people that have gone through the wilderness they're the ones who have who have have struggled have suffered so lord i pray that the body of christ would would rise up in that way that we might be an encouragement one to another thank you that our wilderness seasons though they are a part of our life they're not the end They're not the final. Thank you for the hope that we can respond in today. Thank you for the cross, Lord. I pray that we do well to get our eyes on Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. We remember the wilderness that you were cast into on our behalf. Jesus, you are the sacrifice, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So to the extent that we are able to get our eyes on you and your finished work, and then we come to the table to say, I I participate in that finished work, that is a great joy. And we are very thankful. I pray that today two things would happen for the person that is in Christ, has made a commitment to Christ, walking with Christ. I pray that today would fuel that fire, that gratitude for the finished work of Jesus would be a predominant sense in these moments. And that we would say, we don't want to go back to Egypt. We want to go forward as you lead us in freedom. So thank you for that, God. And I pray also that the person who is not in Christ today or is not sure, just I don't really know what that relationship with Jesus is about. You know, communion, this is like the best way, this is one of the best ways to literally come to Christ. Because you come and you you take the, the bread, which is representative of his body broken for you. That's what he said. And you take the cup, his blood shed out for the remission, forgiveness of your sin. And you say today, I'm going to make that personal. I'm going to make that mine. I'm going to receive that gift. It's not just ideas about Jesus. It's not just a a good, warm feeling toward him, but actually a relationship with him based on his costly and finished work. That is a daily reality that we choose to celebrate every month. We celebrate it today. So let today be the day that I say, Jesus, I I fall on the finished work that you've done. Make that your personal prayer and come to the communion table with joy. Paul writes this. He says, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Get your eyes on Jesus. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we will make that proclamation together today. 
when you are ready, after you've had some time to pray and do business with the Lord, respond as he calls you to. You can make your way to one of the stations. Take the communion elements as we've instructed earlier. This is your time. Use it well. May God bless you as you commune with him.